You're listening to Artemis Projects podcast. This one is a conversation with Swedish artist Fanny Helgren. Yeah, Fanny Helgren. So it was good. With whom I set to talk about her practice and her interest in exploring the properties and agencies of materials, be it paper, concrete, cloth or water, and the way they transform when exposed to the elements, such as sun or time. Working with sculpture, as I am, is inevitable to sort of work with those ideas and thoughts on materiality and objects and the human in relation to the material world. Maybe sculpture even more than uh, other artistic disciplines deals with those subjects and also the fact that we are a part of the physical world we can't really place ourselves outside of it Fanny's works also reference traces and imprints that human bodies make on the environment and as such serve as memories of the past but also as predictions of future. Most of my work is uh, referring to or has a starting point in a built environment or in the city as a site, because the city is constructed by us and it's constructed due to our needs and thoughts of how we should organize society and how everything should has its place. And in in that constructed environment, in that idea of how we should act, there's also things that doesn't have a place or things that loses their place or gaps. In this podcast, recorded in Belgrade, Serbia, where Fanny was on an artist residency, we delve deeper into Fanny's interest in materiality and in-between spaces, the process and methodology of making works, her preferred ways of exhibiting them, and what role patience plays in both making and viewing art. We begin by her describing her work yesterday's news which pairs her sculptural practice with photography and is a perfect example of her interest in materiality and traces, but also raises issues of sustainability and the role of beauty in art. It's a publication in the format of a newspaper and the paper quality of a newspaper newsprint. It's blank in the front page and then it contains 20 photos of uh, newspapers that's been left in the street that sort of has lost their function of spreading news. And they were photographed all in Sweden or around the world? I think they're all in photographed in Sweden, yes. And over which period of time? About a year, I would say. But the way I've placed the images is also a sort of timeline so that they go through seasons. By the end of it, it's like winter. And that work relates to some other of your works that explore how the materials are affected 
by elements such as water or sun. We see these newspapers changing form when exposed to duration of time, when exposed to the snow, when exposed to the sunlight. Exactly. But also the movements of people somehow, like imprints from um, people who've walked in them. And uh, so it's sort of, it becomes formed by its environment. Is it also commenting on the waste? Is it a political work in some way where it speaks about the things that we considered important one day, but then left it as a yesterday news as something that we can just walk over, something that we don't have to worry about anymore. Yes, in a way, it's definitely about that. What is considered as valuable and what is not, and being useless. And I think a lot of my works deals with that, in a way, almost emphasizing these, uh, so to say, useless um, materials that we, or waste materials or consumables that we don't really think about that much that doesn't have value to us in that way. How is, for example, your work, the concrete series, connected to that? Uh, The concrete series, it's definitely connected to that idea as well. It's a series of concrete sculptures. They are like um, blocks or plates, about two centimeters thick and square formats or rectangular formats. In various sizes? Yes, in various sizes and various colors, but they are all made out of concrete and in the surface of them bears imprints from different waste materials but also almost architectural elements. And uh, they refer more to the site where they are made, the studio, and uh, dealing with what is of interest in that space. Like what is considered an artwork and what is considered something else or what is consumable materials or what is a tryout what is art and what is not, what is of value and not, what relation we have to these materials, these, so to say, waste materials. And how do you go about choosing what we do imprint onto them? That's a decision that I make when I have the frame in front of me and um, I've mixed the concrete and then I basically take fragments from that space that is of no other use, sort of, or that have been used. So you work with quite a variety of materials and when we spoke about this previously, when you were talking about this work, you were saying that you're looking at different language of materials, how every material has its own language. You were speaking about concrete, for example, being sturdy and durable. Then there is ephemerality and fragility of paper and eternity of water. And you created one particular work called Evaporate Roll, where you have used concrete as a container in which you have placed water and you have exhibited this for about a month. Slowly, throughout the duration of exhibition, the water was evaporating in the air, so the work was changing. What were you trying to explore? I think a lot of my works also deals with in a material way the tension between an activity of building up versus an activity of breaking down creation versus destruction for me water is an element of both those activities it's an element of life but also of death 
So the concrete in this work is a building material. It refers to that built environment, but it's also sustainable material, as you mentioned. And in the bottom of these uh, sculptures, there was also this structure from a paper, which represents this ephemerality. And so the water in these sculptures also added an aspect of temporarity to the installation of the work. As you said, it evaporated during the exhibition. By the end of the exhibition, they were completely dry and changed the color and the surface. You could still see the presence of the water that had been there. And the cracks appeared. Yes, cracks also. So it's really uh, an activity happening that you can't really notice when you're there with your eyes. You can't see the water disappearing, but you still know it's happening and it's, it creates a certain presence and also connection because the water is actually disappearing in the air, in the room where you're breathing and yeah. That work really explains to me, well, your interest in agency of the material because it seems like the work is a sort of performance made by materials left by themselves where they have agency to act without you needing to manipulate that anymore. Mm. Although you did make a decision of what to place together and you have directed maybe in some way that agency, but at the end there is also ability of materials to act by themselves without you needing to interfere. Yeah. Yes. Talking about the traces that are left materials, you also work with cyanotype, which is an old photographic process that relies on sunlight to create blue-toned images. So here you place a paper or a cloth on a certain surface and you treat it with chemicals, which are the light-sensitive substances. And then you leave them exposed to sunlight for various periods of time. And some of the parts of these materials, whether it's a cloth or a paper, are left in shadow. Whether the shadow is cast by the other objects in the space. Or you deliberately place an object on top of that material. As the end result, the parts of the paper that are left to sunlight turn blue. And longer the sun hits them, the bluer they get. And then the places that were in the shadow remain white. And you made this work while you were in Belgrade with paper, almost making some photographs about your neighborhood. Yeah, I consider myself as a sculptor, but I've been working a lot with photography as well. Before, I've seen it more as a tool in my process to sort of emphasizing or trying to make clearer what my interest is in. But uh, lately, the photography as a medium has become more and more a part of my practice. And this series of cyanotype works is one example of that. The series of works that I've done here in Belgrade, in a way, it's interesting to getting those limitations. I found out two weeks before I arrived here that I will have three weeks of making an exhibition. So I needed to think about those limitations and I couldn't really work with concrete and those kind of materials. So I brought the chemicals to make cyanotype. And I have been working with it before, as you mentioned, with the cloth. But at first, when I got here, I had the chemicals. And my idea was that I wanted to collect also the materials that I wanted to make the cyanotype on. Then I didn't have enough time for that. So I decided to make it on paper. And the second day I was here, I found this reinforcement from an old mural 
that had fallen apart just around the corner from where I lived. So I brought that material and started trying playing with those reinforcements together with concrete plump. I used them to make the images on the paper. So I treated paper with cyanotype and put these reinforcement steel materials on the papers in the sun so that the series of images. You have addressed a bit in what you were saying, your process of making. And you spoke to me before about how your process of working is organic rather than conceptual. How your works don't start from an idea that you try to express, but the idea is maybe found in them after the process of making. And the reason I'm mentioning this now is because it seems to me that this is a good example of you just consider the time you have to make something and just observe what's around you and start playing with what you have. And then at the end something quite profound might come out as a topic. And for me in this particular work, one thing that it made me think of was the concept of memory. And I'm relating it to your other works as well, because your works are, as we spoke, often about traces. And memory is something that I often associate with leaving a trace. It's, you know, at once solid as a concrete or fragile paper, and it often evaporates as water. And in this particular work, it's cyanotypes and imprinting of your neighborhood and the shadows that exist in this space is almost like making um, diaristic photographs of your time here. Is memory something that could be the correct reading of your work? I wouldn't say memory is like the main theme that I work with, but you can definitely read that from my works in various ways. In a way, the way I work with traces and imprints and those kinds of observations in the built environment, of course there's these layers of people's lives and activities that you can trace from these uh, layers in the city and in the things that are left. But memory, the way I work with traces is very unpersonal in a way. Of course, it can have a personal mean for me as these uh, cyanotypes also, these cyanotype works becomes, as you said, a sort of diary about my visit here or this place, since I work also a lot with these found objects. But for me, there's also this other level to these works, working with these lines and these very simple forms and the color blue and what I think you read into these images or what I started reading by these quite abstract images is landscapes and skies and horizons and clouds and those kinds of motives. Yes. And when you had an exhibition, it was titled... Blue is the light that got lost. Inspired by you reading Rebecca Solnit, but I assume that the title came after you made the work and the whole association with her essay came after the work was made. The work was not inspired by the essay in advance. No, it was uh, at the same time somehow. Like I read this book by Rebecca Solnit, Fields Guide to Getting Lost, at the same time as I made these works. And at the same time as I was in this position of being in a completely new city and I spent a lot of time walking, not knowing where I would end up really and looking for materials but also just trying to take in this new place and I was very far away from everything that was familiar. So this text and this book really became a part of that narrative for me. And also all of these works becomes blue and the exhibition was very blue. 
There's an essay in this book where she writes about the color blue, that it symbolizes uh, longing and when something is far away, as the sky is blue because the blue light gets lost in the spectrum and so things that are far away appears blue. The world is blue at its edges and in its depths. The blue is the light that got lost. Light at the blue end of the spectrum does not travel the whole distance from the sun to us. This light does not touch us. The light that gets lost gives us the beauty of the world, so much of which is in the color blue. For many years I have been moved by the blue at the far edge of what can be seen, that color of horizons, of remote mountain ranges, of anything far away. The color of that distance is the color of an emotion, the color of solitude and of desire, the color of there seen from here, the color of where you are not. Blue is the color of longing for the distances you never arrive in, for the blue world. If you can look across the distance without wanting to close it up, if you can own your longing in the same way that you own the beauty of the blue that can never be possessed. For something of this longing will, like the blue of distance, only be relocated by acquisition and arrival. Just as the mountains case to be blue when you arrive among them, and the blue instead tints the next beyond. Did this essay come to you by coincidence when you were making these works? In a way, yes. I um, borrowed it from my boyfriend, like, just before I went. So um, it was a really uh, on-point book to bring on this kind of trip. And she also writes a lot in this book about... I associate to how to get lost also, in a way, in a, an artistic practice. How to look for something that you don't know what it is. That kind of searching. Yeah. But about what you said before also about the, whether my process or my works is conceptual or not. I think that in a way many of my works can be perceived as conceptual as well. Some works I have an idea. It's not that I like come up with a narrative or something afterwards. But it's more of having a process. I start being interested in something. The processes of like trying to define what that interest is in and going into that interest and or that fascination or that idea and trying to make it clearer in a way through making and through practical work but also other kinds of work. So the idea is there at the beginning but where it takes you is always a bit unknown. Yeah, in a way. Mm. And I guess it depends from work to work. This work on the cyanotypes for the exhibition here in Belgrade was very organical, like how it came to be. And, and I think that's also important for me to be in the process, to be open. That you don't really know where you're going to end up in the process, but you start somewhere and... Yeah, because you're not fully in control of the process because your whole work is about exploring the agency of materials around you, where they also... Yeah, it's a dialogue somehow, yeah. You were mentioning when we spoke about the concrete series, the various ways you were exhibiting the work, leaning it on the wall, 
and then you know the reparate row was a series of those concrete containers that were placed on the floor and you spoke about not being a big fan of plinths and frames when it comes to exhibiting. Why is that? I have nothing against when other people work. I understand that it, in some works it's very important or it adds something to have like a frame or a podium or something. But mostly in my work, I feel like it creates a sort of distance to the work. Like I've made a series of sculptures out of uh, paper pulp from newsprint and if I would place a frame around them or a, a glass around them it, it creates this distance and podiums is also a way of creating a hierarchy somehow in the installation room. I prefer for the viewer to have a as close meeting as possible to the work and to the materiality of the work. It stays more organic. Yeah, in a way. It makes the experience closer, like there's nothing in between the viewer and the work. And is the way you exhibit a part of the work? Uh, yeah, definitely. When I install the work, I think of the whole room. and It's not only the work, it's the whole room, definitely. And, um, and the experience of seeing it, it kind of completes the work. That's something I would also like to work more towards, to work even more like scenographic so that the room is really you enter like a scene of traces from activities so yeah the installation is definitely a big part of the work when you exhibit such work like a reparate role a work that develops and changes over time and that in a way performs itself are you expecting for the audience to keep coming back and experiencing the transformation of the work or stay for a while and observe? Is the patience in viewing, the patience from the audience, something that is important to you? I don't expect people to necessarily come back and see the change that has happened, but I think from the title of the work and maybe in a written text together with the work, if you have the information that the water is evaporating and will, will disappear, I think you, you still sense that when you're there you still have that idea in mind when you experience or like uh, when you meet the work. Is the text important element of all of your works? It's important and hard at the same time. My experience of viewing art and experiencing art is I prefer to first experience an artwork without reading and have another look but I think the text really adds... Most of the time when I meet the audience or the people who come see the exhibitions, it's during the opening. And then people are always... They don't really maybe have that much patience or they don't spend that much time. Like they are also mingling and there's a lot of other distractions. But I... I try to speak to people during the opening about my work. If people have questions or has associations and they want to talk about that, my experience is that they can uh, perceive the work in another way or interpret it in, a, in another way when they get my ideas and when it's this personal meeting together with it. I think that is how we work as humans. We want to have that kind of introduction to things. And coming back to patience, I'm realizing that patience is actually an element within your process of making because lots of your works 
are done through exposure to time, to duration, temporality, something that's of interest to you, within which this agency of materials takes place. So I am quite actually interested in your views around patience and in relation to the patience of viewing, because there is a patience in making, Hmm. but very rarely the patience in viewing and taking time with the works. Well, I haven't thought that much about the patience in relation to my works, but it's an interesting aspect. I think nowadays we don't have a lot of patience in um, anything. Taking time to see art or understand art, neither. I guess there's some kind of stillness or something to my work, because firstly is this aspect of this slow time change of materiality as the change that the water makes to the concrete or the newspapers that's been left. This observations of that slow change... And that is quite a still activity in some way. Maybe also because most of my works is somehow about human activity. There's a presence of human activity in the works. Human activity that has left something. How is that related to patience? That was more related to stillness. (laughs) I don't know about patience. Patience from the viewer or patience from... Well, both. But I think you spoke a bit about it in the sense of, um, I mean, stillness is kind of connected to not rushing, I guess, when you make the work, and your work develops over time, Mm. and then it feels like it needs a time to be observed as well, to stay with it, and especially in contrast to what you said, that nowadays there is less and less patience, so it's almost a nice little function of the works like yours to increase or remind us of the need for patience. Hmm. Well, yeah, that's a nice interpretation. I'm trying to create that also by making the work is sort of an atmosphere or something that you enter and maybe that is uh, you need patience to do that. You said earlier in the interview you consider yourself a sculptor, but you're more and more also working with photography. And that made me think of a work of yours that we already spoke about, yesterday's news, where it feels to me like it does marry these two art forms of sculpture and photography. And the reason I'm saying that is because one thing that I loved about it was looking at the photographs you took and noticing how these discarded newspapers became sculptural objects of sort. And the only reason why I noticed that is because you have chosen to photograph them and by doing so you gave them significance. So if I just saw them on the street, I would probably just pass by, but you turned them into a valuable object, something to take interest in, something to notice to notice its form Mm. and in a way by doing so you also pointed to the beauty that would otherwise be overlooked and that beauty was created by the nature in the sense that these shapes were created once the human hand has discarded them and decided to let them behind was there something of that intention in you making the work Uh, yes 
I think that is uh, one role of the artist to point on things that may not be getting that much attention otherwise or like point on something that tells about something bigger or I've made a book that is a collection of these uh, photographies uh, that I take in my surroundings these observations of objects that we leave in our surroundings The book is called Gaze Through the Sound of Traffic and it starts also with a quote from Young Cage that is to me also about this, the activity of taking notice of things in your surroundings. But his quote is about the sound of traffic, so it's about listening, the activity of listening. But I, in this book or in this text, I turn it uh, into the activity of observing, of looking being observant of this material world and how we how we interact with it. When I hear what we call music, it seems to me that someone is talking and talking about his feelings or about his ideas of relationships. But when I hear traffic, the sound of traffic here on 6th Avenue, for instance, I don't have the feeling that anyone is talking. I have the feeling that the sound is acting. And I love the activity of sound, what it does. It gets louder and quieter, and it gets higher and lower, and it gets longer and shorter. I'm completely satisfied with that. I don't need sound to talk to me. So it's interesting here if he talks about the sound of traffic and what it does and the agency that the sound has as well of getting quieter mm. and louder and higher and lower. It's another, almost a form of material that does yeah. its own thing. Yeah, definitely. This intention or hope or, as you said, a bit of a function of art to make things noticeable, to point to things that matter is um, making me think of your work as carrying some important messages, even in the way that, on the one hand, your works speak about the imprints, as we spoke, that humans live on nature. For example, those discarded newspapers. Then also, on the other hand, the effect that the nature has on us, our dependence on it, and our fragility in the face of it. Is your work in some way addressing environmental issues or anything as such? Well, I wouldn't say my work is um, is about eco-criticism in that way. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. But I understand that that's one reading you can make out of it. It's hard to not to make those associations. As I am working with these questions of how we deal with materials and how we like our relations to it today, so um, I see that you read that from my work, but I I wouldn't say my work is about eco criticism. In relation to some of the works that we spoke about before, we spoke a bit about beauty, and for example, I was referring how. I started noticing the beauty in the shapes of those discarded newspapers because, again, as you were saying, you chose to frame them, you picked them up, you made me notice them. What is the role of beauty in your work and does it matter to you that the work is beautiful? 
It's really hard to talk about beauty, but I definitely think it's a relevant aspect or relevant to talk about beauty. But it's also impossible to describe what beauty is. When I think of beauty, I think about Agnes Martin and what she's written about it in her work and in her writings, how she deals with these quite big and hard topics. And she writes about beauty as something that is in the mind. It's not in the material itself. No, exactly. And uh, I think that is a really interesting thought because today it's hard to talk about beauty. If someone would call your work beautiful, it's almost like a negative or derogative. Why is that? Well, I guess beauty can be very seductive and it's so used in a commercial way to sell things, seducing people to buy things. Working with art that also tries to be a bit critical or talking about other issues, you don't want to get too close to that or somehow. It's it's hard with beauty in these days in that way. Yeah, beauty is definitely under attack. And there is, on the other hand, quite a big wave now coming back into the art history of defending beauty. Mm. There is an essay that Kathleen Mary Higgins wrote some time ago, and she calls it Whatever Happened to Beauty, and it's her response to Danto. And she says that beauty, in her view, provides a comforting background against which one can think the uncomfortable. Beauty assures us that something really is lovable. With that awareness, we are capable of the courage to face what is not. Mm. That's really... That's beautiful. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And I really agree to that as well. But I think the thing is that beauty often can get mixed up with... Or misunderstood in a way, or like... Because for me, like this trash newspaper can be beautiful. So in, it might not be like beauty in this traditional way of like what is considered to be beautiful. I guess it's about going deeper than the surface of things as well. Yeah, exactly. It's redefining what beauty means. Because another thing is that Agnes Martin writes about is that all artwork is about beauty. All positive work represents it and celebrates it. And all negative work protests the lack of it in our lives. Yeah. But also, you know, what she says about it, that beauty is in your mind, not in the object, reminds me of that process that you have, where you are the one that picks up this particular object in our environment mm. and you notice the beauty of it that some other people wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely relevant. I think about this yesterday's news work, it's quite like serious in a way, but I realized like um, many people perceive it and other works that I've done as quite humorous in a way also. And I think uh, that was something that I realized from people's reactions to my works. And um, But humor can be beautiful. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was just <laughs> another aspect of it. I read about that somehow, like com someone who compared humor to beauty, that it's sort of, it's hard to describe and it's, but it's something that you experience. Talking about experience of the work and reactions, one thing that 
I reacted to a bit when I was reading Martin's essay when she says that beautiful artwork is responded to with happy emotions and that beauty illustrates happiness. The reason why I reacted to it is because some works I find beautiful because they disturb me and they mm. move me through that disturbance. They don't make me happy, but they cause me to reflect. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's also... Sometimes it's maybe hard to know what she means with happiness. Like She's also very influenced by Taoism that she studied for a long time. So I think it's a lot of these Eastern philosophy ideas that her works is inspired of. Yeah, yeah there is a sense of peacefulness to her work now that you're questioning what happiness represents to her being inspired by Taoism. I'm wondering if it could be translated more as a sense of peacefulness that she feels in front of some works. And her work has been described as an essay in discretion on inwardness and silence. Does silence play any role in your work? Thank you for listening to Artemis Projects Podcast. For more about our projects, head to artemisprojects.com.au.